What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. I'll give you a little inside info. It's been a real challenge to get this show done today. I'm not going to lie to you. This is take number six. I've had to basically retrain myself on some brand new software, some editing software, because the program I normally use is having some issues. I've tried it on two different computers. It keeps just jamming up on me. So I am undeterred in my quest to bring you high-quality programming on today's show. And, uh, you know, we always talk about, uh, you know, being bigger and better and everybody else. I'll be honest with you. I almost punted and said, I'll just deal with this in the morning. But, no, I've got a big writing day tomorrow, working on the Ole Miss chapter, the Ole Miss series chapter in the new book, Dogpile. The first eight chapters have already been uh, submitted for the editorial process. The early returns, very good. So I'm excited about that. You guys should be as well. Getting a lot of feedback, too, about Blooms of Oleander. A lot of people have reached out and said, hey, Steve, wasn't expecting this from you. And that makes me happy, too. I like to keep you guys guessing. i got a lot of good friends in the, in the literary community that have shared. The, the sales have been very good. Uh, Book Martin Cafe downtown here in Starkville has ordered for the fourth time, which is great. They can't keep it. You guys are buying them up. If you need personalization... And if you're not going to be able to come to a book sign and you need to order through Book Martin Cafe, you can call them. They're in, in the, the yellow pages. Just Google Book Martin Cafe in Starkville, and uh, they'll get you taken care of. They'll take your information. They'll ship you a copy, and I'll, I'll, they'll get me down there, I guess, twice a week or so, and I'll sign whatever you want, and we'll send it out to you. But there's some cool things happening, too. Blooms of Oleander currently number five on the Mississippi bestsellers list which is amazing. I had one bookseller tell me that they don't think they have seen a poetry book that high on the list. Uh, that's a very you know, humbling situation. You know, People care that much about it. And I've had more interaction, I think, with fans on this one, perhaps, than I have the other four, the other three, excuse me. I'm getting ahead of myself. But uh, it's exciting. It really is. If you haven't gotten your copy, you can order through Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com or Books A Million. But I'm a big proponent of the independent bookstore. And so if you're in the state of Mississippi, let me encourage you to, you know, frequent Turnrow Books uh, there in Greenwood. They have all four books signed copies for you right there in Greenwood. So you can scoot through there and see those fine people there, and they'll take care of you. I will be at Lemuria Books in Jackson on June 7th. I believe they already have books. They're unsigned, but they do have books. And uh, But if you want to come by and say hello and perhaps talk some College World Series stuff with me or forecast some football stuff, we can do that too. So come by, say hello. We'll get it all done for you. 
But Book Barton Cafe, obviously here in Starville, they've got uh, plenty. You know, they got autographed copies of every book that I've written. And so I was there last Friday evening. We had some, a lot of people come in that were ready to buy Dogpile. And uh, can't do that yet because Dogpile is not finished. But very, very soon we will have a cover for you guys. And then we'll also have the pre-order link. And many of you have asked for that. And I'll be honest with you. That's probably the best way to guarantee you're going to be able to get a signed copy. I'm going to be out on the road a lot you know, this fall and holiday season. I make myself very much available, you know, assuming that uh, we're still able to do that sort of thing uh, here in the months to come. But be that as it may, to ensure that you get a signed copy, your best bet is to probably pre-order. Because I'm going to sign all those pre-ordered copies and we'll ship those out first. And, uh, and listen, you know, it's one of those things too when you know when you're thinking about the holidays it'd be nice to kind of have that wrapped up you know thinking okay let me just order from the safety of home and that's one less thing i got to deal with when i get ready to make the rounds for holiday shopping i don't have to go to this bookstore or whatever i encourage you to always go you know support those people but you know if that's just not your thing online shopping may be the way to go and you can still get them signed and personalized however you'd like if you are not in mississippi and you have a favorite bookstore, let me encourage you, just go down there and tell them what you want to order, and they can order it for you. They'll know what to do. They'll know exactly what to do. But it's through Ingram. They'll know what that means. Just say, hey, I want to get Steve Robertson's Blooms of Oleander. Because I want to always promote the literary community, whether it be in Mississippi or somewhere else. And those independent bookstores, in many respects, are kind of the lifeblood of the literary community in your state. And there are a lot of local authors they're able to get their books on the shelves in those stores where perhaps they couldn't in some of the bigger retailers. And so I think that is an amazing thing. We want to support them uh, whenever we can. And listen, there have been so many booksellers that have been so tremendously gracious to me. Uh, I've got so many great friends in the literary community didn't have those friends five years ago, right? I mean, I was just getting started. You know, we sold a lot of books and uh, working on number five right now, and, and that'll be my fifth one in four years. Probably going to do another poetry book next year, and then we'll see what else is out there. I've got a couple of other options. I've got some other people that are asking me to write some books. And so might do one of those next year. We'll see. It kind of depends on how things go. I mean, at some point, you know, I'll, I'll probably have to take some time off. But, um, you know, I enjoy doing what we're doing. And there's so many of you that have been so incredibly, you know, supportive. Uh, I want to keep it coming for you guys. There are some people that, you know, they buy my books as soon as they come out. And then, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, we've got a new book on the market. And next thing I know, I'm getting reviews from some of you folks. And so I, I do appreciate that uh, more than I can properly express on this show. But if you haven't gotten any of the books, or maybe you need to kind of complete your, compl- your collection, go to alphadogsthebook.com. That's A-L-P-H-A-D-A-W-G-S, thebook.com. And you can get signed copies of Starkville and Slim Flam or Alpha Dogs. And of course, Blooms of Oleander is still a different publishing group. It is the only one that I actually did self-publish, contrary to internet rumor. I just didn't want to deal with editing and all that kind of stuff. I, I didn't want anybody to tell me what I'd written was wrong. You know, because when you write poetry, it's kind of coming from your heart. And so I wanted to make sure that I, I got exactly what I wanted out of the project. We also sold uh, about double of what I expected to sell, and we're not even two months in a release. And so... Listen, I just want to say thank you guys very, very much. If you hadn't bought it yet, I'd encourage you to get it. It means a lot to me. And the fact that the book's doing so well uh, on the on the Mississippi Reads list is uh, is really, really something cool. I've had a lot of people that have reached out and said, hey, Steve, this has been great. 
It's very relatable. And I'm going to do another one just like this one. There'll be a section of poems. There'll be some randoms in there. And then it'll be a short story. I'm, I'm a firm believer is when you find something that works, you just kind of keep doing it. Just keep hammering home what you got. So I'm going to work on that and uh, look forward to, to kind of sharing some more of those things with you in the future. I've got a little more confidence in it now. You know what I'm saying? It's like when you begin to exercise those muscles a little bit, you don't even know you're on strength. And so maybe you put some things out there that um, may be a little more half measured. But you know, now that it's been so successful, I, I may be a little more reckless. So there we go with that. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I plan to be there later this week. Not exactly sure if I'm going to go today or Thursday, but I'll be down there. I've got to get the pimentology ad bacon. I've got a bit of a craving. It's been a while since I've had one, a couple weeks, I guess. I like going down there too, not just because of the fact that the food is so great. It's just a cool vibe in there. And the service is always so great. They do such a good job of hiring and training staff there. And so I'm always eager to go, whether it be for lunch or for dinner. There's just so many great options to choose from when I go there. Some days I feel like a hamburger. Some days I feel like a salad. Some days I like that sweet heat chicken sandwich. You know, I'm a big fan of that grilled chicken club, too. That's the best thing about it. They, there's so much variety on the menu. You just can't, you can't go wrong. And now with three great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Start Vegas and then Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and then the new one. That's on Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgewood. So many people have shared with me what a great experience they've had there and how happy they are to have a Bulldog Burger Company in their neighborhood. So go out and check them out. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. We all need more of that. And maybe work on about halfway through the meal. I would say, you know what? I think I'm going to get that chocolate shake to go. When they bring the check, they'll bring your shake. And you can take it with you. I'm a firm believer in having dessert when you have a restaurant meal. I don't think a restaurant meal is complete without dessert. You know, we go out, you know, because a, a lot of times, I'll be honest with you, I'm sitting around the house. Some days I even forget to eat. I get so busy writing stuff, and it doesn't always work out. I, that's one good thing about having a kid home in the summer. So he's like, hey, how about going and getting something to eat? You know, when he's not here, though, sometimes I just get, I get busy. And so I think, hey, I'm famished. I'm going to go out to eat. So, you know, I go get the spring rolls. I get that hamburger, and then I get, you know, get a dessert. Sometimes I get the shake. Sometimes I get the bread pudding. I just don't think a meal is complete. When you go out for, to a restaurant meal, that should be a treat. I think you got to treat yourself a little bit. So I'll, when I go to dinner, I always try to get a dessert, too. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. Our top story involves the contract extension of one Chris Lamonis. We're able to break that news over at jeanspage.com. Chris Simonis will now be paid $1.25 million per year with an annual increase of $25,000 per. There's also some incentives that go along with that. A lot of people have wondered, hey, what are we paying him? You know, we, we hired him, I think, at six fifty, dollars and then we rolled him over after the 19 you know, run to Omaha. We gave him an extension and a raise then. And if I remember correctly, don't quote me on this, if I remember correctly, with his, um, you know, with his enhancements and that sort of stuff, I think we paid him right around eight hundred fifty thousand. I think between eight and eight fifty this past year, and so now next season, this new contract will begin. It's one point two five million. And listen, Chris is not the only guy cashing in, and many of these deals have already kind of been in place. So the process had already started long ago. But now Scott Foxhall, Jay Gotro combined now the highest paid baseball assistant staff in the country. We talk a lot about making a commitment. 
I don't think anyone can argue against the fact that Mississippi State has made a major commitment to college baseball. We are a baseball school, and yes, we love football. We do. You know, but baseball has been the one thing that we have always taken a great deal of pride in. We always have. We've always been able to poke our chest out a little bit. Now we poke it out a little bit more with a little more authority because we're national champions. Because now if we're poking out our chest, chances are we're wearing a national championship shirt. I'd encourage you to buy a whole bunch of it. Wear one every day. We've earned it. It's incredible to think about that. But now it's not just, okay, we built a great stadium and we have kind of mortgaged our future and uh, can't afford to do what needs to be done to our baseball program to kind of bring some continuity. Because the one thing this program needs more than anything else is some continuity on staff. Now, I was told middle of the year we were going to have a real difficult time hanging on to Scott Foxhall and Jake Gotro. Both of those guys did have some people kind of kick the tires. There was a lot of discussion that uh, Jim Schlossnagel was going to do all he could to get Gotro to join him at Texas A&M, even made him an offer. And then our offer, I understand, is very, very close. And the fact, too, that uh, he gets a chance to stay here. And and to be honest with you, I don't think Jake wants to really make that, quote, lateral move. I think when Jake leaves Mississippi State, it's going to be for a Power 5 head coaching opportunity. And the fact that we're paying him what we are, and I've got – you know, some ideas on that. I don't want to put any numbers out unless they're absolutely correct. But we've kind of priced him out of the market, you know, for some of these G5 jobs. In order for him to take those jobs, he might even have to take a pay cut. If I'm not mistaken, Jay Gotro might be the high, highest paid college assistant in all of college baseball. I'll double check those numbers and get back to you on Friday. But I believe that's correct. Scott Foxhall's a guy, too. That, you know, Scott's a little bit older than Jake, obviously. But, you know, Scott's also a guy, too, that uh, has a tremendous relationship with the rest of the college baseball fraternity. Everybody loves Fox. You, you'll, you, you'll never encounter anybody that has anything negative to say about Fox. I haven't people, heard people say a lot of negative things about Lamonis and Gotro, but uh, the, occasionally you'll get somebody that got bested on the recruiting trail you know, that might have a little sour grapes. But you never hear that about Scott Foxhall. I mean, ever. And Scott's a dogged recruiter, too. But he's very well respected. And there was a lot of discussion this year, you know, hey, if Cliff Godwin takes a job, you know, Scott Foxhall might be the perfect candidate for the East Carolina job. Well, of course, that job didn't come open. Then there was a lot of discussion about, you know, hey, if College of Charleston comes open, you know, if the Citadel comes open, it makes sense they would go after Scott Foxhall. Well, we didn't have to deal with that this year. But that's not to say that Scott Foxhall is not a viable candidate for a head coaching job somewhere. He absolutely is. And you know what? He may not have the same you know, level of attraction as Jake Gotro does. But we have two guys that are potential head coaching candidates on our staff. And after what this program has gone through, you know, we need a chance to kind of take a bit of a deep breath. I talked to Jake Mangum earlier this week, and uh, you can read that article over on Gene's page, too. It's a free Q&A called The Conversation, Jake Mangum. And we just talked a little bit about it, even some things I didn't put in the story. You know, but it, it was really a challenge, even for our, our leadership on our team, you know, to go through what they've gone through. Many of them recruited by John Cohen. 
They expected to spend their entire career playing for John Cohen. John gets the opportunity to be the athletic director at Mississippi State, so you have a coaching change. Well, you bring in Andy Cannizzaro. Andy comes in, a lot of energy, got us fired up, got it believes in physical fitness. Not that John didn't, but Andy's a guy, too, that, you know, <laughs> he spent a lot of time working in the weight room. And so then Andy comes in, and we go to Supers. You know, and, and I, I tell people regularly, in you know, that Andy Cannizzaro year, Andy probably should have got some consideration for Coach of the Year. Now, he, I don't know that he wins it, but he certainly should have been named as an honorable mention because, you know, people forget, well, what were we down to like half a dozen pitchers? And we went down to LSU and played a Super Regional. And if we'd had a little more pitching depth, we'd probably win that thing and go to Omaha in 17. Well, then all that happens in 18, you know, with Andy's resignation. And, you know, there's one of the things, too, that, um, you know, about Mississippi State, you know, we'll put up a lot. But anybody or anything that kind of, you know, paints Mississippi State baseball in a negative light or gives us some bad publicity, that's going to be a problem, man. It is. We just don't take that stuff real kindly. We don't. I mean, we don't ever want Mississippi State's names running into public controversy. But not our baseball team, for sure. You know, it's like when there is bad news, you can say, well, you know, somebody that's just college kids being college kids. And I'm a firm believer in that. I mean, you know, listen – Every so often, you're going to pick up a public drunk or you're going to have a uh, you know, minor in possession charge, and most things are going to happen. That's kind of life and times in a college town. But when things happen that kind of cast aspersions at your baseball program, those, those are things that kind of hit us in the chest pretty deep. And so for guys like Jake Mangum and Brent Rooker that have kind of bled and sweated for this program, you know, they took that to heart more so than even we did. And so you go through 18, and, you, and everybody remembers what an abysmal season it was. And I remember Hunter Stovall's tweet basically telling everybody, hey, guys, don't give up on us. We're not done. It was great leadership by a great young man. And we did turn it around. We made it to Omaha, and as Jake told me in the interview, we were just happy to make it. And he says a lot of it, too, was about legacy. There were so many great players that had come through Mississippi State that never made it to Omaha. So those guys were kind of thinking, hey, while we're here, we got to be one of those teams that make it. And so they go in 18, and people forget we were in the winner's bracket. Oregon State had to beat us twice. They did. and went on to win a national championship. But despite the fact that we'd had so many challenges earlier in the year, you know, the leadership of that team really stood up. Because the M over S mattered to them. They knew they were playing for something bigger than themselves. But they wanted to add to Mississippi State's legacy. They wanted to be a part of an Omaha team. When they went back in 19, again with a brand new coach, fourth one, right? You think about Mangum. Played his freshman year for Cohen, his sophomore year for Canizaro, junior year for Gary Henderson, senior year for Chris Simonis. And we went up there thinking, you know what, hey, We've been through this before. We know what we got to do to win. Then we beat Auburn the way we did. We begin to think we're a team of destiny. And the next thing you know, we, you know, Vanderbilt beats us again. They had that great starting pitching, kind of held us down. We just couldn't get the big hit. Vanderbilt, of course, went on to win an NFL championship. So both of those years, we lose to the eventual NFL champion. And of course, Louisville knocks us out. Ball game, we blew it in the ninth, almost uh, apropos, considering you know, we did the same thing to Auburn. You know, 
But it was disappointing. I mean, it really was. But that's, you know, now that Chris has been here now, you know, three seasons in, only two full ones, and he's got an NFL championship to his credit. Now, Chris kind of comes in at a good time, too. You know, Chris comes in, number one, you know, John Cohen, Nick Mingione, those guys have done a great job recruiting. I mean, a great job recruiting. Guys, Callum Clark, we'll talk about him later on the show, too. Callum Clark, his first offer came from John Cohen. You know, Tanner Allen's a guy that John Cohen and the staff, you know, chased all over to Southeast. He was a John Cohen project. John's personally involved and said, hey, I'm going to go get this kid. And we don't. He commits to LSU. We ultimately get him back. But, you know, this is a guy, too, that was, a, you know, a big part of, you know, the John Cohen era in many respects when it comes to recruiting. You know, Ethan Small, a John Cohen guy. And so there was already, you know, the recruiting pipeline was rolling along pretty good, you know, even before Andy got here. And, you know, and really I think if we're being fair, you know, really the only guy you can really credit Andy with is Tanner Allen. Now that's a big one to get. Don't get me wrong. He had the face of the program in many respects. And without him, we don't, we don't win a College World Series. We don't. And that's just being honest about it. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. 
You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. But this has been you know, kind of the product, you know, some the, the predecessors of Lamontis in some respects, too, as far as procuring the talent. I'm not in any way taking anything away from Chris. It's not what I'm suggesting. But he came in at a time when we were kind of beginning to peak recruiting-wise. And maybe that's the wrong way to say it. We weren't thinking we were peaking, but I think we were really on track in recruiting probably consistent with our reputation as a baseball program. We really thought, hey, you know, these are the kind of players we should get. These are the kind of players to get us to Omaha, potentially win a College World Series. And so it's not like Chris had to come in kind of, you know, when John came in, you know, we didn't have a single player committed for the class. And so then we got to go out there and hustle and find some guys and kind of string this thing together. And, and uh, some of those early years, you know, the cupboard was a little bare. And so, you know, Chris didn't inherit a situation like that. Chris inherited a situation where you had a couple of coaches that had worked hard on the recruiting aspect of things. And Chris comes in, you know, with this great jewel of a ballpark. And so the infrastructure, you know, for Chris to win and win big right away was already there. And he will give – he will say the same thing. We talk about, you know, what a great job he's done. And he goes, I had some great guys before me. And that's kind of who Chris is. And listen, Chris is a very confident guy. Chris expects to win. Chris believes in himself. But Chris is also a guy that understands Mississippi State baseball has won a lot of baseball games before he got here. And he has taken us somewhere we've never been before. And so it is just kind of you know, the sum of a lot of people's best efforts that got us to this point. And that's what excites me so much about Chris Lamonis is that when you look at what Chris has done, really with some other guys' players in many respects – and now he's beginning to get the guys that kind of fit his system and fit the culture here at Mississippi State. I, I think you begin to think, okay, this, this is definitely sustainable. And I've said that on the show before. But after what this program has gone through and what this fan base has gone through, we need to have our guy. And so I talked to Chris today. I was uh, writing an article about Kellum Clark, and again, we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. But, yeah, I wanted to make sure because of the medical issues involved with all this, you know, I didn't want to put anything out there, obviously, that was going to be an issue. And Chris is so great. He's like, hey, as long as the family's okay, would you write whatever you want to write? But we just kind of talked a little bit. And uh, I always joke with him when I talk to him. I say, hey, and thanks for the natty. You know, and uh, he laughs every time. Because I think he knows what it all means to us. You know, but it's one of those things, too, that, you know, Chris is our guy. I mean, Chris's dad attended Mississippi State. You know, Chris is well aware of what baseball means at Mississippi State. That's one thing that he always shares when we talk about, you know, Mississippi State, kind of the trajectory of the program. He always says it's so great to be at a place where it matters to so many people. You know, listen, let's be honest. At Indiana, they're a basketball school. They are. They don't really care about baseball. They're a basketball school. And occasionally they've – you know, Tom Allen's done a good job up there and kind of got them excited about football. But, you know – they're a basketball school. It's not baseball is at best third fiddle at Indiana. And you look at Louisville. You know, Louisville, Bobby Petrino had some big years. Rick Patino had some big years. You know, Dan McDonald's had some big years, but baseball, it's third fiddle. 
You know, one could even argue it might even be fourth when you consider women's basketball. They've had some good years there. And so I don't know if you guys know this too. It wasn't until recently, and they may have even changed it since then. It used to just be free to go to baseball games at Louisville. They didn't even charge to get in. And you think about what our fans are going through to get tickets, man, how, how crazy it gets up here sometimes. And then they're just giving, you know, just go sit down. It's crazy. And so Chris comes here, a guy that is, you know, a baseball crazy guy, a guy that loves college baseball, a guy that wants to win a college World Series. And we've joked a little bit about this. I, he said, you know, one of his welcome to Mississippi State moments is he goes out there for a fall scrimmage and there's a thousand people out there. Well, I mean, that, that just doesn't happen. I mean, it's like that, that might be, you know, you know, a midweek game at some of the schools he's coached at before. I guess it's some of them, too, going back to Siddle, that might be a good weekend game. But you show up there on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday and, and you're practicing, there's a thousand Bulldogs out there screaming for you. And we've talked about that extensively. That's one thing he, he always goes back to. It's just so great to be at a place where it matters to so many people. I mean, this is the big time. Mississippi State is a destination job. And, if, and we're paying him accordingly. You know, I, I thought we hired him a little bit light. But I thought, you know what, it gives us some upward mobility. You know, because you hire him high and all of a sudden he wins a NFL championship, you got to take it even higher. So it's probably physically responsible to do it the way we did it. It's paid off pretty well. I think we'd all say we're getting plenty of return on the Chris Lamonis investment. And I got to give Jake Gotro a lot of credit, too. You know, Jake's, you know, Jake's been the one constant. You know, Jake's tenure at Mississippi State predates Lamonis. You know, Jake came initially as kind of in an off-the-field capacity to kind of help, you know, deal with agents and kind of get guys, uh, you know, draft profiles together and things like that. He came in because he knew the business side of things. Well, next thing you know, he becomes a hitting coach. And if you talk to our players, there may not be anybody on the staff they love more than Goat. They do. And that was one of the things, too, that we worried about, you know, when Lamontis came on board is, you know, what does it mean for Gotro? Because you know, Gotro was so instrumental in what happened in 18 to keep this team together, to keep this team focused on what was at, at hand, to keep them from falling apart. Gotro was the driving force behind that. And so when Lamontis gets hired, that was kind of one of the things that, um, that John Cohen took care of. Of course, he, John's not going to over, you know, overstep his boundaries with, with Lamontis. I mean, Lamontis is the baseball coach. John's the AD. He's a former baseball coach. And obviously, you know, Lamont, when Lamontis has questions or anything like that or just needs somebody to bounce things off of, John's there. But John's not, you know, micromanaging the baseball program. But one of the things that John did do is once Lamontis was agreeable, made sure that we didn't lose Jay Gotro. And then you kind of work through this thing now. I remember having a conversation, you know, with Jake after we got beat in 2019 at Omaha. The first thing he says to me is, we'll be back. And I said, you know what, Jake, I don't know if you know this, but if we make it back next year, we will have gone to Omaha three consecutive years for the first time in school history. We've only gone twice Two times in a row. That's 97, 98, and then 18, 19. And all of a sudden, I saw this light bulb go off in Jake's head. Like, okay, we're going to do something that's never been done here before. And he looked at me, and he goes, we're going to do it. We will be back. 
That's how confident he was going into 2020. And I think we all felt pretty confident that the 2020 was an Omaha team. When you lose Jordan Westberg and Justin Foscue and you begin to kind of question yourself a little bit heading into this year, when you look at the pitching and the way those COVID rosters worked out, you say, you know what, we got a shot. But I don't know offensively if we were anywhere close to the team that we would have been in 2020. You, know, you got to figure, you know, Westberg and Foscue, those are double-digit home run guys. Cam James goes third again. That's a double-digit home run guy. Luke Hancock's at first, double digits. Tanner, double. Rowdy Jordan, double. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You can begin to kind of do the math on that and realize we'd have been a pretty potent offensive team. And that's what makes this year that much more remarkable. You take your two middle infielders out of the equation, two guys that were kind of the key cogs of your offense, and you replace them with a punch and Judy guy like Scotty DeBrule, who has had got one career home run, never hit one at Mississippi State, and you put a true freshman in there, and you still win a national championship. And I, listen, I've had these discussions with you know a lot of people on the inside, and they say, "Well, Steve, you act like we didn't have any talent. Well, we got plenty of talent. It's just a lot of it was young and unrefined." You know, Scotty DeBrule had never really consistently hit power five pitching. Of course, he had some midweek games, I guess, against Florida and Florida State, and he did pretty well against that. But he didn't have those guys, you know, sitting in a lab somewhere, breaking down his swing, looking for holes in his attack like he did here. And so it took some adjustment once he got SEC, you know, pitching. And Lane Forsythe, listen, this time next year, I think everybody in the country is going to be talking about what a great defensive player he is. There was already some discussion about that in Omaha. There were some plays that he made in the College World Series that I don't know many shortstops in Mississippi State history could have made. And so when all this kind of comes together and you begin to think, okay, you know, we didn't get lucky. We earned it. But there are some pieces out there that, you know, that really required some development and some coaching. And that's what exactly what they got. And, and I don't know if you guys remember this too. We had a problem earlier in the year dropping pop flies. Remember that? How ridiculous that was. Because you think, you know what, we can, we can try to U-triple-A-S-A team out there and they know to call it a baseball. I mean, how does that happen? It cost us, too. There were a couple times we were able to get out of it. But I remember one in particular, there was a pop-up that uh, Scotty DeBrule should have taken, and he left it up to Lane Forsythe. And listen, I need my senior to step up there to make a play. Listen, I, I understand it's a shortstop's call. But you know, when you've already had a couple of those issues already, I need my senior to step up and take charge. That ball fell. Then we didn't see Scotty DeBro in lineup for a couple weeks. That's when Tanner Laggett took over at second. And listen, Tanner didn't do anything to lose a spot either. Played good defense, hit the baseball pretty well. But Scotty's got a little higher ceiling, so you bring him back. But that's what coaching does. I talked to Landon Sims the Wednesday night after we won it all, and just kind of you know, in casual conversation, he goes, "Let me just tell you this, Steve. This is what the fan doesn't understand." He said, Lamonis pushed all the right buttons at all the right times. And those are things you look at. You know, it's just like the whole situation, you know, with Landon Jordan. You know, Landon Jordan is a good baseball player. Doesn't have the range that Cam James does at third. Doesn't have the power at the plate. But that guy's a good player. And so that's a difficult decision you got to make as a coach is I've got a guy here that has done nothing to lose this job. But I've got to make a decision that betters my team. I've got to make a decision here that puts the better offensive lineup on the field. 
And at the same time, too, you get a little better – you get better defense in short. Because, listen, Cam was struggling. We all know it. There's no point – we don't have to sidestep that. Cam was struggling defensively. But you needed his bat in order. So, you slide him back to third. And you know what? As the year went on, Cam James got to be a wall over third. Really did a good job. And, again, that goes back to coaching. There's some times, too, that, you know, Cam James is struggling at the plate. You know, I'm, I'm pretty close with that family. And one of the things that I've heard, too, is that, hey, you know, Lamontis reached out to Cam and said, hey, you're, you're our guy. You are our guy. Just relax. You're, you're, going, you're going to come out of this. There's so much competition at a place like Mississippi State. You know, they, a lot of times these guys, you know, they, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You start thinking, hey, I get out here and make a mistake. I'm not going to play tomorrow. And so they put a lot of pressure on themselves. And I think when Lamontis reached out to Cam and said, hey, listen, you're our guy. Relax. I think Cam was able to relax. Started playing his best baseball of the year. You know, where, would, where would we be without that guy in the postseason? He was outstanding. And just like we talked about, you know, DeBrule taking a little bit of a vacation and putting Tanner Leggett in there. Tanner Leggett kind of gives you some options. When Lane Forsyth wasn't feeling good, we had Tanner Leggett at short. You know, when Cam was struggling a little bit defensively, we had Tanner Leggett as a defensive replacement late in the ballgame. Scotty lets a pop fly drop. All the next thing you know, we got Tanner there. And I had somebody share with me today that Tanner Leggett plans to come back next year. You know, and that's the thing, too, I think about. He's not a guy that's going to start. But he can be a utility guy for you to do a job for you. You know, whether it be in the midweek to get a guy some rest, got to go out there and be a pinch runner in the ball game. You know, we've already seen that the moment's not too big for him. You know, listen, he, nobody's going to be scared of him at the plate. Okay, I'm, and, that, and that's not being you know, critical of, of Leggett. You know, he's not going to go up there and hit bombs. You know, he hit one this year, but that's just not his game. You know, and so nobody's going to go up there being scared of that guy. But he's proven that the moment's not too big for him. He's not scared to get up there and take a healthy hack as he did against the University of Texas. And he had his legacy moment. You'll remember the name Tanner Leggett forever and a day. The Juco Bandits, as Chris Lamontis called him. Skinner gets on base. Excuse me. Kellum Clark gets on base, and then Skinner gets the pinch run. It's still second base. Scores a winning run on Tanner Leggett hit. And so getting Tanner back would be big. I understand that uh, Chase Patrick not coming back, that uh, Chase is, quote, retiring from baseball, just said, you know what, I've, I've done everything I want to do. I'm going to go out as a national champion, and we, we wish Chase the best. You guys know Houston Harden, of course, is signed with the Angels. A lot of discussion about that, too. And I really think if he'd come back next year, you know, probably signs for around the same amount. But he could have played his way into a better opportunity. You know, but, but uh, we wish you know, Houston the absolute best. But, you know, when you begin to think about all the decisions that were made this year, you know, there are always a couple. You look back in hindsight and say, yeah, I'd have done this a little bit differently. But I think, by and large, the way you manage the team, you, know, you have to have some foundational standards. And the first thing you say is, you know what, we're not going to get out here and boot the baseball around and stay in the lineup. And then we're not going to get up there and take selfish swings and stay in the lineup. And there was some of that all year. And I think Chris recognized it and made the proper adjustment. You know, Josh Hatcher was gathered as a plus defender at first base. Uh, doesn't always have his footwork correct. Doesn't always stretch the way that he needs to. But he can defend his position pretty well. 
And so you begin to think, okay, we're going to have to trade some you know, defense for offense here, and you're already kind of doing that, or trading some offense for defense. You're already doing that with Forsyth. You know, how many of those guys could you have out there? Next thing you know, we look up one day, and I give Mike Nemus some credit. We're watching pregame, and he goes, hey, Hancock's out there taking in and out at first. A week later, he's playing first. And those are the things you think about, too. It's like, where would this team be if Luke Hancock hadn't become the first baseman? Because by Luke becoming the first base, it un- it unclogs a DH spot, and all of a sudden Kellum Clark enters the lineup. Now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden you're you're a little bit saltier defensively, but you also have a power left-handed bat you didn't have before. Because you know, Hatcher was always struggling this year, struggling to see the baseball. And so over the course of a season, these are the kind of decisions that have to be made. And listen, I know, listening to Polk years, he would like, here's my best eight, we'll run with this. And then occasionally we'll make an adjustment, you know, when a guy's struggling a little bit. But, you know, this is a much different scenario because this is a team that kind of had to find its identity. You had a lot of new players. You had a lot of moving parts to this thing. Yeah, you had T.A. and Rowdy back. But outside of that, you, you didn't have many guys outside of maybe Josh Hatcher that had played an SEC baseball game before. And so this team found its identity and really developed, and everybody began to kind of find their roles down the stretch. And here's the reality of it, too. All these guys want to play. Nobody came here to watch baseball. If they did, it would be a whole lot easier and a lot less painful to just be a regular student and then you know get your season tickets and come to a baseball game. They all came to play. And in Mississippi State, we don't really go out and sign developmental players. It's not like in the football or basketball aspect of things. Everybody has a certain you know, modicum of development they got to go through. But the reality of it is, is that you know, when you recruit at the level that we do, you know, you're recruiting guys that can come in and compete right away for playing time and make a contribution. And so I think it's important to kind of fully appreciate the fact that, you know, we don't have to be patient with you because there's somebody just as good, if not better than you, waiting to take your spot. I think that is an important thing that makes us a little bit different than maybe some other programs. So when you look back at the totality of the season, you have to kind of recognize, you know, it's easy to say, well, Lamontis won a NAFL championship. But I think when you dig down into the minutiae of all this, you realize, you know, Chris managed the club really, really well. Yeah, and that, Think about this. You know, beginning of the year, we're thinking, man, you know, we got these these three guys on the weekend. We're going to be able to go out there and and take that series in Texas. You know, I think a lot of people were just hoping we could win a game out there, and maybe two, and we did win a couple. But we get out there and we don't have Sarantola, we don't have Bednar, and then McLeod uh, doesn't even get the win. Remember, Christian's knocked out the ball game. And then Landon Sims comes in as a middle reliever. Some people have forgotten about that. That was his initial role this year was the middle reliever, long reliever. Landon Sims goes out there and, and, you know, does Landon Sims stuff. Then we come back with Harding. We come back with Fristo. We still had a winning weekend. And then we had this, you know, back and forth thing, you know, Christian, I'm noticing these things as I'm writing the book, you know, you know, Christian had, you know, pretty good start, to the non-con to the conference season, you know, kind of up and down a little bit non-conference, but you know he wasn't a pitcher he was a year ago. But there were other times that he was downright filthy, and so when you've got a guy like that, it's been a little bit inconsistent. Sometimes it's difficult to manage that piece. You know, do you just ride with him? 
because you're already having to deal with the Sunday troubles, right? Sarantola, you know, never really found it this year. And the more that I've gone back and researched this, you know, for the book, I mean, even some of the games that we were able to do okay in, he, he just wasn't crisp. He just simply didn't have it. And maybe it was draft-itis. Maybe it's a situation where, you know, maybe he and Fox just were on the same page. I don't know. But you're already having to deal with that. You're already having to deal with Sunday. And then you've got to bring Bednar back and kind of get him healthy again. You remember he had that, you know, neck and shoulder tightness early in the in, in the year that kind of caused him some issue and you know, probably took uh, three weeks to kind of get him going. You know, and he comes out and does a really good job for us, you know, and against Eastern Michigan. And the next thing you know, we started at LSU and, and, and it's back to being what we expect him to be. But there's a lot to juggle with all that. Bednar is working himself back to the good health. Fristo has been pretty good for you on Sundays. What are you going to do with Sarantola? And then you've got McLeod sometimes is kind of being painfully inconsistent. Now, Fox handles a lot of those decisions, but those are the kind of things that keep a, a baseball skipper up at night. And so I think it's important to, to really give credit where credit's due, not just because of the fact that we won the NAFL championship, but you know, we had some real serious issues offensively, defensively, and pitching-wise the entire year. And it's the old adage, we want to be playing our best baseball at the end of the year. We absolutely were, but it's because of all these decisions that Chris and the staff made throughout the year. All right, let's jump into the top ten list. Brought to you by johnnypacker.com. That's right, johnnypacker.com. I've got my sunglasses back, and I'm so grateful to have them. I'm tired of squinting. You know what I'm saying? I just – I don't feel like I have my twinkle when I don't have my sunglasses. I have learned the hard way with all this windshield time that I spend that I need to protect my eyes, and you should too. And maybe you don't need prescription lenses like me. But if you do, you can still get those prescriptions filled at johnnypacker.com. This is all, all, you know, it's all supported by a vision center there in Collierville, Tennessee. And so Brandon and John are working in conjunction to kind of bring you guys some really cool glasses. They're all named after Mississippi towns, with the exception of the Omaha frames. Great quality glasses at a great price from guys that are Bulldogs. You know, I'm a big proponent of doing business with Bulldogs. So I encourage you to give these guys an opportunity. Go to johnnypacker.com today and use promo code BONEYARD. That'll save you 10% off your purchase. And speaking of your purchase, a portion of the proceeds will be donated directly to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. John Packer himself has struggled with CF his entire life, actually having a, living a really good quality of life right now. Got some lung function back. He's trying to make other people's lives better. So not only are you buying a quality product, you're doing something to help the quality of somebody else's life. So go to johnnypacker.com today, order your sunglasses. If you see some frames you want and they show as unavailable, Hit the contact us link, shoot them an email, they'll get them on order for you. Because the glasses have sold so, so well, they're, they're having to manage the inventory. You know, and so sometimes, you know, they'll, you know, they'll order, you know, say 10 frames. The next thing you know, there's nine of them sold by the time they get them in. Because you guys are buying a lot of sunglasses. Keep that up. Keep supporting Bulldogs. Again, that's johnnypacker.com, promo code BONEYARD. All right, today's top 10 list is Roy's Pick. Roy and I text just about every day. We talk about this list. We talk about what's done well. There are, there's a lot of analytics when it comes to this top ten list, and that's on Roy's side. And Roy's a numbers guy. I'm just a talent. 
But uh, Roy, when he makes a suggestion, you know, Roy's trying to hit a home run. Roy's not up there trying to get a bunt single. Sometimes I'll do that. You know, I'll throw in uh, you know some hair metal or something from the 80s just because I want to talk about it. And maybe it doesn't appeal to everybody. But Roy, when Roy gets up there, it's like a church league softball swing. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's the first pitch of an at-bat, and we're going to see if we can't hit it out of the ballpark. And so Roy is always like, hey, let's jump on some country. I think deep down Roy is probably a, a closet country fan more so than a rock guy. He he, he kind of suggests he's a rock guy, but he, he, he speaks about this country music with a lot of affection. And so Roy reminds me we have not done Hank Williams Jr., so we're going to remedy that today. And I'd say one of the things, too, when you go back and look at the Hank Williams Jr. catalog, a lot of these songs are basically anthemic. And they're just a lot of these songs that we all sang in unison at bars, you know, with our beers raised high and that sort of stuff. It's just good time and music in many respects. And a lot of it's just kind of life in the South. You know, and so I think a lot of people gravitated to those tunes because it's very relatable. We feel like, hey, this is one of ours. You know, and Hank Williams uh, Sr., of course, you know, a legend of country music. I think there was just kind of a natural segue. And Hank Jr., a little more irreverent, irreverent than his dad, but uh, some cool tunes. And I think everybody knows, like people would say, you know, Steve, I don't know that I could name 10 Hank Williams Jr. songs. I could probably name about 20. But once you get into this list and you start looking at it, you're like, oh, yeah. He, oh, I forgot he sang that. Oh, this is great. Yeah. Because everybody knows you know, a couple of the big hits. But there's a lot of great tracks that have been played in bars that we've all frequented in our lifetime. And so in honor of those moments, and I want to give a shout-out to the 3G Daiquiri Depot in Bogalusa, Louisiana. You know, back when I was a, uh, a drinking man, it was $7 all you could drink on Wednesdays, and they lost money on me every week. All right, top 10. <clears throat> Number 10 for me is Man of Steel. Some of you guys may, re- may kind of resemble that one, but I think Man of Steel is a great track. I, I, love, I love the fact that with Hank Williams Jr.'s music, there is just so much layering to the instrumentation. You know what I'm saying? It's not just, okay, let's just throw a steel guitar in here. You know, sometimes they've got the banjo. Other times they've got dual guitars. I mean, there's just a lot to it. And I don't know that every that any song really sounds the same. I really give Hank a lot of credit for, you know, the variety of these tunes. Uh, number nine, The Women I've Never Had. I know most people would probably not put that on their list. I actually love that song. I think it's one of those... Uh, one of those ones that probably everybody has had uh, you know, some relatable experiences with. Number eight, one, and I love this one too because it's kind of a it's a ballad in its true sense where it tells a story, but it's attitude adjustment. When I was a kid, we man, that, that thing would come on, we'd be getting ready for school, and that thing come on Mama Stereo, and everybody just sang along to it because it, you knew people like that that needed an attitude adjustment. And, and there are a lot of you people today that need the attitude adjustment. And I don't know if you could have survived the late 70s and early 80s, to be quite honest with you. Uh, number seven, and I have heard a few different people that have covered this song, and I had to double-check myself to make sure it was a Hank Williams Jr. original, but it's uh, Whiskey Bent and Hellbound. Uh, again, it's you know, another one of these you know, typical country songs in many respects, you know, about uh, he marries a, you know, a good woman and he's a good time and man to throw uh, – you know, to throw a bone back to Waylon and Willie, but uh, that that is one that I think, in many respects, is legendary. Number number six, this is one of those ones too. When the technology, 
You know, when this song came out, it seemed almost haunting because of the fact nobody ever thought this would be possible, but it's uh, There's a Tear in My Beer, and it's a duet between Hank Williams and Hank Williams Jr. And when it hit the radio, our minds were just blown. I mean, nowadays you can do it. I remember when, when Hank and Hank Jr. did it, and then Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole did it, we were just blown away. It was like, how cool is this? You know, the duets with their with their parents. But, um, you know, nowadays it just kind of seems like old hat. But when that happened, it was revolutionary. I mean, it really was. Number five, song about Southern pride. If a heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. I think everybody at some point has had that bumper sticker, whether it be on a Trapper Keeper or a Chevy S10 pickup or, you know, a big Ford F-150. A lot of people saying it didn't mean it because it was clever. Uh, number four, and this is one of those anthemic songs that we talk about. It's just absolutely legendary, and, and it still gets played on the radio today, and a lot of people may have this number one on their list. I don't. I've got number four. And maybe it's because I was raised in the city, but uh, it's a country boy can survive. And I think it's one of those songs that it is so relatable to people in the South. I think it's just one. It's almost like amazing grace to some people. And I, and I love the conviction with which Hank Williams sings this one. You know, it's really like he's speaking to his own people. You know, it's like, hey, all these other things happen in life, but no matter what happens, we can make it. I think it's one of the reasons so many people kind of gravitated to Hank Williams Jr. is because, you know, he was just, he was such a fan of Southern living. And, and you know, just the big city stuff didn't really appeal to him. And so uh, I really dig the song. Almost put it number three. Almost. Number three is actually the most downloaded Hank Williams Jr. song on Apple Music, which kind of surprised me a little bit. But it was a great tune in its day and it still stands up and it's born to boogie kind of an interesting name for a country song but a little bit up tempo song you can dance to it's just one of those tracks too i think a lot of people they kind of forget about it's kind of a hidden treasure in some respects number two and it's uh one that we all sang in unison uh down at the uh the depot it didn't matter if you know, right in the middle of a dance set or whatever they could you know, turn the house lights up and play this song and family tradition and everybody knows the chorus i'm not going to sing it for you now but everybody knows it and in some respects it was true we were all kind of you know we're the descendants of a bunch of you know bootleggers and card players and you know that's just it's a different deal but family tradition i think it's one of those songs too that so many people just listen to and even if they don't personally identify with it with their own heritage they kind of adopt it you know what I'm saying? It's just one of those songs that it's difficult not to take part in when they're playing in a bar. But number one, and I don't really know that it could be anything else, and I guess you could make a case for a couple of these other ones, but it's All My Rowdy Friends are coming over tonight. And, of course, that got adopted, and next thing you know, it became, you know, all my friends are here on Monday night, and they still do that for Monday Night Football. And But it's one of those songs that kind of takes me back to my youth. And I remember thinking, man, I can't wait till I'm old enough to have some rowdy friends. And then I had way too many rowdy friends. But Hank made it all seem so much fun. It's like, hey, let, let's get all these guys over here because he's got girls that can cook and girls that can clean and girls that can do anything in between. And I like girls, so I want to have them around too. you know. And so 
I think Hank Williams Jr. in many respects, we, we talk, we throw the word legend around so many times. We really do. But it applies in this case. Hank Williams Jr., an absolutely phenomenal performer, a guy that wrote a lot of songs that mean an awful lot to an awful lot of people. And there's so many people that are just such a flash in the pan. And, and Hank Williams Jr. is the genuine article. And I think there's some credibility in what he's saying just for that very reason. And so I don't know if it's your cup of tea or not, but I'm glad we did this list. Not just because of the fact that I know some people out there have been eager to hear it, but also, too, I think and there's, it reminds me of a time when life was a lot simpler. You know, it's like I, I would like, you know what, hey, we're going to go fishing this weekend or we're going to go ride around and, uh, you know, and, and drink a cold beer and listen to country music or whatever. And I almost had to have a cold beer to listen to country music. But, um, you know, Hank is just one of those icons of the industry. Everybody in the world probably knows who Hank Williams Jr. is, at least everybody in America does. And maybe it's because of Monday Night Football. But Hank Williams Jr. is a star among superstars. I don't think there's any question about that at all. Next segment of the show brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's right, CloseWithBlair. Listen, there are so many people out there that have questions about mortgage lending. It's an intimidating process. I've been through it a few times. It's never easy. But you know what? When you deal with somebody that knows what they're doing, they take a lot of the guesswork out of it. They take a lot of the stress and anxiety out of it. And so here's the thing about Blair. 21 years in the industry. He's seen it all, done it all, had a chance to experience it all. He's streamlined the process, makes it a whole lot easier for you. He knows what he's doing. That gives you a big comfort level. When you know that you're dealing with an experienced mortgage professional, it makes it so much easier to say, yeah, here's my documents, and let them do the work for you. Let them be your advocate. Blair can do conventional loans. He can do the refi. He can do you know, the fixer upper loan too. Maybe you want to you know buy that that dream house and say you know what it's not quite what we want it to be, but we're willing to put in the work. He can help you with that too. Fairway Mortgage. It's not some fly by night mortgage shop. One of the top five mortgage lenders in America. And you know what, Blair Chandler, in the top one percent of producers with Fairway Mortgage. This is a guy, again, he gets things done. Let him go to work for you. Go to closewithblair.com, check him out, and that's B-L-A-I-R, close with Blair. Or better yet, just give him a call. I've known Blair a long time. He's a great friend of mine. He knows exactly what he's doing. He'll take care of you. Don't be scared to make home ownership a reality for you. I know it's your dream. But when we get out of that renting hamster wheel deal and put your money in a big house, begin to plant some roots. Phone number 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. For more information, go to closewithblair.com. And a little bird told me, too, rates are uh, dropping. So now that's a good time to kind of make a move. And even if you're not quite ready, Maybe it's time to kind of get credit where they ready. You know what I'm saying? Let Blair kind of walk into that process and get you ready to purchase a home and get you pre-qualified. So when you do go out and talk to a realtor, you kind of know the price range that you're going to be approved for, right? So go check them out. So more and more talk about this Texas-Oklahoma thing, as you guys are well aware. Texas and Oklahoma inform the Big 12. They don't plan to uh, renew their media rights that expire in 2025. I don't think that means that we're going to have to wait for Texas and OU to 2025. That's not going to happen this year. I've seen some people in the social media groups say, hey, well, 
Maybe they'll get it done this year. It's just, it's too late. It's too late in the process. Guys, we're playing football here in, what, 30, 30, 36 days, something like that. So it's too late to pull it off this year. Too many contracts in place. But it could happen next year. And there are a lot of mixed opinions about this. Listen, I'm not a big Texas fan either. Because, listen, Texas has had this attitude that if we can't run it, we'll ruin it. They ruined the Southwest Conference. They ruined the Big 12. But you know what? There's new leadership there. And uh, I've got some friends that speak very highly of uh, Chris Del Conte there, the AD at Texas. You know, he's the guy that wants to do things the right way. And listen, Texas is not going to run anything in the SEC. They're just not. At the end of the day, we could say, no, we're not going to, but we could. They came to us and said, hey, we want to make a move here. And so you begin to look at this long term. You know, listen, you're going to have some of the biggest power brokers in all of college athletics in one conference united towards a common goal. It's going to freeze out some other programs. There's a couple other benefits that uh, I didn't mention on Monday's show. I've had some time to think about this, and I think there are some things that are really beneficial to Mississippi State with Texas and OU joining because, you know, the estimates are through the roof on what the meteorites are going to look like. It's ridiculous. And so we can benefit from that. And so here's the thing. I've seen anywhere from 20 to $41 million, what they expect the increase in the annual payout to be per school, per school. You get a guy that's a good steward of Mississippi State's money like Mark Keenum and John Cohen together, and you go ahead and throw you know, 20, 25, 30, 40 more million dollars in there, you don't think those guys can get some things done? This is exciting for me. But here's the thing that I think is probably not talked about enough. And I mentioned a little bit about this on Bo Bounds' show on Tuesday. Is, you know, how many times have we lost a coach, an assistant coach, due to money? Yeah, I remember Sylvester Croom, you know, saying when Stan Drayton left us for Florida, he goes, hey, guys, I can't be losing coaches for money. Yeah, I go out and get the guys that I want. And that Croom staff was loaded. They didn't win enough here. But, that listen, there were a lot of guys that went on to some big things in college football. And a lot of them left for money. A lot of them left because we just simply were not in a position to pay them or we were reluctant to pay them. Well, now all of a sudden when you've got more money to work with, we're not going to lose people for those reasons. Because the bottom line is that we're going to have more money to pay them than we ever have before. As I mentioned, too, a little bit on a Monday show, you know, it's not going to help us catch LSU and Alabama. It's not. And I've read this article, too. I can't remember who wrote it, but it said there's going to be a greater gap in in the SEC. Uh, That's not true. That's simply not true. You can say, well, Steve, I don't understand. Well, here's why. You know, people act like that we're going to have to play Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee every year. That's just not not true. And, you know, here's the thing, too, is, um, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, they got to play Alabama, LSU, and Auburn, too. It's not like all of a sudden Texas is going to show up and they're just going to play Vandy and Kentucky and South Carolina and State and Ole Miss and call it a year. They got to play Alabama too. Not every year. They're going to play them. You know, people act like that we're just supposed to be the whipping boy. You know, and I, I just I don't see it that way. I don't think you should either. Does it make it a little more difficult to get to a ball? Yeah, it does. But here's what I think is going to happen with us going to the nine game. SEC schedule, I think you're probably going to see that Power 5 requirement removed, which will enable us to have the opportunity, a better shot at getting, you know, seven home games. 
which is what we need financially. I think that's a boom for the league too. And so we'll kind of work through those things in the days ahead. But I think when you begin to think about facility upgrades for volleyball, facility upgrades for softball, facility upgrades for the hump, you know, there are a lot of things out there, especially for our Olympic sports, you know, and most of them do not generate any revenue. And you guys want them to be good. Like if, if you love Mississippi State, I know that you do, you want State to be competitive at a high level in every sport. Now, that's not always feasible, but when you think about the fact that we've had some turnover on the men's and women's golf side, and some of that's been financial related, some of it hadn't been. But, you know, we can go out there and recruit and procure and hire a talented coach and retain them because we can pay a very competitive salary. That hadn't always been the case. You know, there were times, and I don't want to, you know, throw shots at any previous administrators at Mississippi State, but, you know, some of these sports, we got bound a shoestring budget just because we were kind of required to have them. Well, those days are behind us now. And we're about to reach the most lucrative period in Mississippi State athletics history we've ever had. And so those are the things that I think about is, okay, will it be a little more difficult in football? Yes, it will be. It will be. But I think collectively, when you look at – the rest of the, the the picture there, you begin to realize that everybody else is going to benefit from this. What do you think Dirty Noble Field looks like in 10 years? Right? Begin to think about that. You know, when you've got all this extra money to work with, you can say, well, Steve, we just built this big stadium, we mortgaged all this money, and you know what, we're going to be able to pay that off with change. But I began to think about what other enhancements can we do, not only to to increase the athlete experience but what can we do to increase the fan experience you got a lot of smart people involved with spending mississippi state's money you got a lot of people involved that understand what you guys want and so when i begin to think about you know facility upgrades not just for player amenities but you know for fans there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you guys to come to ball games and have an experience you've never had before those things excite me. And so when I begin to think about, you know, in its most simplest terms, it's okay, so you, what you're telling me is we're not going to have to play Alabama every year in football and we're going to make more money. Yeah. Okay, where do I sign up for that? Because at the, at the end of the day, that's what it is. You, don't mean, you mean to tell me you wouldn't rather play Texas and Alabama? You know, Texas hadn't been, you know, ever since Vince Young left, Texas hadn't been, you know, much at all. Listen, Oklahoma is a, a surefire blue blood. I'm in no way suggesting that Lincoln Riley's group's not going to come in here and do well. They're going to have to learn to play a little defense. You know, and maybe with Lincoln Riley coming in here, maybe it helps us a little bit too. You know, he's a Mike Leach disciple. You know, perhaps we can kind of learn from each other. But the reality of this thing is, is when you look at the money that's available, it's a no-brainer. It absolutely is. And listen, they're going to figure the scheduling thing out for football. And I've read so many people out there that have more – they have a lot of opinions, a lot of hot takes. They don't have a lot of facts. And some would suggest that perhaps we should consider jumping conferences. Why would we do that? Because people get these tunnel vision. Like I read the analytics thing, Dave Bartow is like, hey – you." Mississippi State and Ole Miss should consider doing this. You know, Dave, I, I think we just stay here and cash checks. How about that? 
Because I also think we've got Mike Leach here as a coach, and I don't know how long Mike Leach is going to – How much, he's a little long in the tooth, but Mike's still got a few good years left in him. And I think it could be a situation where you know, maybe every two or three years we can put a really good team on the field. Not just a good team, but a really good team on the field. And all of a sudden I think we recruited a better brand of athlete as a result. I think people took way too much stock in these analytics. It's one thing in baseball. Okay, what I mean by that is – yeah, you know, when you get spin rate on a fastball and you can kind of see tendencies and things like that, that's completely different. But a lot of this football analytics stuff is just, you know, it's it's hokey. And I asked on Twitter, I even asked Dave Barto, what the analytics look like when Mississippi State went to number one in the country in 2014? How did that factor in? What were the analytics this year for baseball? The Mississippi State would go win an Apple championship. You can say, well, you know, well, Steve – Dave's a football guy, and he is. But my point being is that you can run all the data you want, but you can't quantify heart. You can't quantify conviction. You can't always quantify coaching either. You can put a number on it, but sometimes you have guys that show up, and it's just the right mix. It's the right opportunity. It's the right place. And they begin to perhaps achieve beyond their previous analytics. And so I think you can get caught up in all that stuff. And I don't mean this in a negative way. I don't really care what the analytics say. I don't care what the analysts say. Because at the end of the day, they're not, they're not invested in this program. They're not invested in the outcome. They just want their numbers to work out. It's one of those things, too, I think is amazing, too, is you've got these you know, national analytics people, and you look at their Twitter followers, and it's like 1,500 people or 2,000 people. Yeah. You know, and that's, again, maybe a lot of people are just scared of that kind of stuff, but I, I just don't think that you can get all wound up in that and get a good result. And I know, again, it's, you know, you can run some numbers, and, and, and here's the thing, if you run enough numbers, you can convince yourself of almost anything. But sometimes things don't compute. Sometimes the computers are wrong. Sometimes Vegas is wrong. Sometimes you just go out there and you're a better matchup, and people don't realize that. You know, it's like if, if that was the case, if we could just depend on analytics, I mean, you know, would there ever be any upsets? Probably not. And so, you know, we're not going to go jump and change conferences, nor are we going to be kicked out. And, I, and I, I mentioned that on Monday, and I kind of lost my temper a little bit. I'm not going to apologize for that. But I think, you know, we have got – we have got to evolve and mature as a fan base. And the sad thing about it is it's not the young guys and gals that are the issue. It's some of our longtime fans. I know many people have just kind of been beaten down by bitterness over the years, and you've had some losses that have been difficult to come up with. But, guys, we just won a national championship. We have played for four national titles in, what, eight years? We, that, that's unprecedented in our school's history. So why are we focused on what happened, you know, maybe in the 1970s? Why do we bring up the Tech and 10 season? Why do we bring up the 2001 college football season? Oh, you know, well, Steve, we're expected to do well. We do poorly. We need to be picked at the bottom so we can surprise people. You know, I just think we should have a little more pride than that. Maybe it's just me. But all of this is like – for, for about two weeks there, we went it, and everybody's like, I, I just really felt a, a, a change in the force in many respects. And now all of a sudden, this Texas OU thing's come up. I see some people have relapsed. 
They've gone back to their old way of thinking that Mississippi State can't have anything, that we need to lower the hurdles. I just don't believe that. I believe we can be great in Mississippi State. I believe we can be competitive in all sports in Mississippi State. I believe that we belong in the SEC. And it's one of those things, too. I love the, uh, I love the Ole Miss fan that tries to say, oh, well, if we're going to kick anybody out, it should be Mississippi State. Well, I'm, I'm going to submit that it's, it should be you guys at Ole Miss. And, and here's why. It's because you don't contribute anything to the Southeastern Conference. And say, well, see, what do you mean? Well, it will, let's, let's just look head-to-head. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt's won a couple of national championships in baseball. You guys haven't won any. South Carolina's won a couple of national championships in baseball. You haven't won any. We play, we've played for two and won one. You haven't played for any. You can say, well, Steve, you know, we're more of a football school. Well, I mean, you, you're, you're really not. It's, it's what you want to tell yourself because, you know, that's what you've been told your whole lives is, hey, you know, we were great under Johnny Vaught in the early 1960s. And let, me, let me tell you, if you guys haven't figured this out, this is 2021. Nobody really cares about that. And you've only got one of those NAFL championships that is even partially recognized, and you didn't win the AP poll that year. Minnesota did. And so if we look at more modern era, Mississippi State has – Gone to the SEC championship game of football. You haven't. Mississippi State has gone to the Final Four in men's basketball. You haven't. Mississippi State women have gone to the Final Four twice. You hadn't gone once. We played for a national championship twice. You've never done it. We played for two baseball national championships in the last decade and won one. So, again... If we're kicking anybody out, which we're not, why wouldn't it be you? Because I begin to look at this, you know, string of probations that you've had. Yeah, because every time that you guys begin to win in football, you end up on probation. And that's difficult when you're a football school, right? I begin to look at this postseason pattern in baseball. You can't get to Omaha. But you're supposedly a baseball power. You know, I don't, I don't know how you manage that. I mean, that's kind of like being a singer in a band, but you never perform live anywhere. You do it in a rehearsal hall, but then, you know, nobody ever sees you play. You kind of just say it for yourself. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And so I wish our fans would stop buying into that nonsense. We're not going anywhere. Nobody's kicking us out. We're not picking up and leaving. Mississippi State's very involved in these discussions. Mississippi State stands to benefit from all this. No matter what anybody in the national media says or what rival fan message boards say, what they think doesn't mean anything. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. You will too. And it's not just the, the product and the prices to people. Stand a man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, and the basement people led by Miss Candy, former Diamond Girl, Miss Candy, married to Izzy Malabom, the guy that produces your top 10 list on uh, iTunes. How about that? So, good crew down there. They treat me great, and it's not just because I've got long hair and tattoos. They treat everybody great down there. They love everybody. 
So go by and check them out. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders, over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. If you're still looking for championship gear, new arrivals showing up just about every day over there. Go check them out on the website. Sometimes they can't even get them up fast enough before they sell out. But um, things are starting to calm down just a little bit. I know it got kind of crazy there for a while. And, and how great that was for our Starkville vendors. Really happy for you guys. And I've had so many people that have said, Steve, I ordered these shirts from this other website, and they showed up, and they're the wrong color. Well, that's one of the reasons why you should do business with places like Campus Bookmart, because they know what maroon looks like. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. So I mentioned earlier that I had uh, spent some time talking to David Clark, Kellum Clark's father. Really enjoyed putting their story together. There were many people early on, you know, when Kellum wasn't playing much, you know, some people said, oh, he's got COVID. He didn't have COVID. Some other people were saying, man, is he a bust? No, he's not a bust. <laughs> I think we all see that now. But Kellum had some real medical issues. And uh, you know, I had a chance, kind of a chance meeting with David Clark. I just got done covering football camp at Mississippi State. I was tired. It was hot. And I just wanted to go somewhere I could sit in the air condition and eat in peace and uh, have that big drink. And so I went to a local sandwich shop. As I'm sitting there, kind of selling in, catching up on social media, you know how we do. I get a tap on my shoulder. It said, hey, I'd just like to say hello. Hey, why don't you come sit with me? And it was, it was David Clark, Kellum's father. And uh, Dave himself was a high school baseball player at West Lauderdale, was a senior, I think, when uh, Jay Powell was an eighth grader and Jay was playing up. And so this is a guy that played at Jerry Boatner's program, and this is a guy that understands how to play baseball at the highest level instead of Mississippi. You just Honestly, when you begin to think about high school baseball in Mississippi, especially in the 80s and 90s, West Lauderdale was the deal, man. Absolutely the deal. And so as I'm sitting there talking to Dave over a sandwich and soup, he begins to kind of tell me what's going on with Callum. Now, I didn't report this back then because I didn't feel like, number one, it was my place to do so. But I mentioned to him then, maybe when the season gets over, maybe we tell this story. So I reached out to him, and he's happy to share it with you guys because I feel like the rest of the family needs to know. And a lot of it, too, I think is important because there are so many people that have these misconceptions about what they think is going on. Oh, well, you know, Lamonis doesn't know what he's doing. He should be in a lineup. You know, and the bottom line is just, yeah, the kid was sick. He was sick. Dave says he had some really difficult days with it, man. It's like, you know, you think your kid is Superman, and then you begin to wonder if he's ever going to wear a baseball uniform again. And that's been his life. His entire life has been baseball. And for, for better or for worse, it's a kid that loves baseball. He's a dad that loves baseball. He's got a brother that loves baseball. They're a baseball family. And so Kellum gets up here, of course, uh, you know, he pulls his name out of the draft, which was huge because he was going to get drafted early. And if you've seen that left-handed swing, that thing will play. But he gets up here and gets into fall baseball, and things kind of get going, and then, you know, there was uh, kind of a recurrence, I guess, of you know some issues that he had had in the summer. 
you know, with a stomach ailment. And that, you know, kind of got to be a bigger deal as we got into the fall. And listen, you know how kids are, especially college kids. You know, when they get, home, when they get away from home, the last thing they want to do is go home, right? Especially when you're living the life of a Division One athlete. But as we got into the season and got through the holiday break, the situation got worse. His condition worsened. Dave said he got to Arlington, Texas, and he barely recognized him. He just didn't look like the same guy. I think he lost 30 pounds over the course of this, uh, this ailment. And so they, they get him and say, listen, Lamona, what do you think about letting him come home take a leave of absence? And Lamonis is like, hey, listen, we know he's a bright kid. We know that he's going to do his schoolwork. We know that he's going to get his cuts in down there because they have a little facility at home. So we let Callum Clark go home for a month. And we were asking in the media, hey, what's an update on Callum as well? You know, he's kind of working through something. And, of course, everybody, when there's an extended absence this time of year, you know, everybody in the culture we're living in now, it's, well, it's got to be COVID. He's probably out a couple weeks for COVID. And that was kind of the rumor that made the round, but it was completely untrue. I don't know who started the rumor. I don't know who shared the rumor. But there was a lot of it because I think people were just trying to make sense of it. That's what happens, you know, when there is an information vacuum. People try to fill it. When people don't know, they just begin to say, well, you know, we'll just, you know this has got to be what it is. It's got to be COVID. It wasn't COVID. It was and I hate to say it this way, but it was something more serious. Dave told me that uh, there were some times that Kellen was so weak he couldn't get upstairs. So he laid on the couch while the doctors kind of figured out how to treat him. Dave said he would sit there sometimes at night in his recliner and look over his son, make sure he was still breathing. That's how serious it was. And listen, when you're, when you're a parent and it's your kid – and they can't quite figure out what's going on, you really begin to question yourself. And you feel so helpless as a parent. I can't begin to imagine what David Clark felt like. I mean, it had been Kellum Clark's dream since he was in diapers, as David said, to play at Mississippi State. He finally gets there, and he's so close. He's on the team. And now all of a sudden you feel like that his, uh, his opportunity is slipping away through something that you can't control. It would be one thing if he was ineffective. It would be one thing if he got in some trouble. It'd be one thing if he wasn't making his grades, and of course none of those things are true, because you could correct that. But when you're kind of on this medical roller coaster and you're just kind of waiting for the doctors to figure out what, what treatment works, you don't know what to do. And I'm a firm believer is when you reach the end of your own understanding, that's where you find God. Because if I could fix it, I would, right? And I'm sure David Clark felt the same way. You know, when uh, my oldest son had some shoulder issues when he was pitching at Williams Baptist, he came home for the holidays, and I could tell he was just scared to tell me. And, of course, he tells me about a week before he's got to go back. Of course, if we had a month, we could have dealt with it, but uh, I'm not putting the blame on him. It's difficult for young men, and maybe it's because I've got a baseball player. Maybe it's maybe I look at it a little bit differently. But when, you, when you're the guy that's played catch with him his whole life, you're the guy that's filled out the lineup card and paid all those travel team baseball fees and spent the night in all those hotels, it's difficult for them to tell you something's not right. It is. And I didn't, maybe I didn't fully appreciate that until it happened with my kid. And so 
Callum and Dave are in the same situation. You know, Dave's just sitting here, just, you know, give me some information. And, you know, I'm sure Callum's thinking, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to pass. And next thing you know, he's, he's gone for a month. Took his classes online. That's one good thing about this uh, virtual world in which we, we live in. You know, he could still do his Zoom classes and that sort of stuff. And he's able to keep up with all that. And then in time, the doctors figured it out. Got him on some medication, got him going. We get him back. You know, puts on about 15 pounds, gets stronger again. Then next thing you know, we're in Omaha, getting no hit in the eighth inning by Virginia from a pitcher that's 0-5. And the guy that starts the, the comeback for us is Kellum Clark. Rips a 97-mile-an-hour fastball into the right field bullpen. And as I wrote earlier today, the last runs of college baseball season came off Kellum Clark's bat when he hit the three-run shot against Vanderbilt. And it's crazy to think, too, that if Chris Limonis and this staff had just kind of hard-knuckled this thing and say, hey, listen, nope, he's got to stay here. He's got to deal with our doctors. Our medical people have got to supervise all this. If he had been stubborn, we probably don't win the NFL championship. He said, well, Steve, I don't know if that's true. No, no, I'm, I'm just going to tell you. Without Kellum Clark, ask yourself today, without Kellum Clark, do we beat Virginia? I'd say probably no. Without Kellum Clark, do we beat Texas in the elimination game? Maybe, maybe not. But when you look at all these big moments that Kellum Clark had at Omaha, you begin to ask yourself, if he had not been in the lineup, and because we, we couldn't go out and sign a free agent, we were going to have to deal with the roster, the players available on our roster. Do we win the NFL championship? I would submit to you, we probably wouldn't. It's you know, in the end, it doesn't matter. We won it because he was there. But I think Chris Lamonis and the staff we talked about in the first segment of the show about you know pushing the right buttons. You got a dad and a mom out here that are kind of desperate for their kid to get better. They're a couple hours away. And Dave goes to them and says, hey, listen, you know, what do you think about letting him come home a little bit and let, let's get this thing turned around? And, and that's what did it. That's what did it. And so I think those stories need to be told, not in any way whatsoever to, to kind of cast, you know, a light on an illness, but you know, to, to look at the goodness that comes from this because of the communication between parent and coach and then also, too, having a coach that for a little while was more invested in the kid than he was in the game. I've told you guys many times on this show that Chris Lamontis is a great head coach, but he's even an even better man. And I got some stories that I could tell, but I won't because I don't I don't want uh, you know Chris or I to get any glory for simply doing the right thing. And I don't I don't even know that Chris would uh, would talk about this sort of thing because it it's not a, it's not a difficult decision to make when you're making these decisions with your heart, when you're doing the right thing, what's the best thing to do for this kid? Because sometimes what's best for the kid may not be best for Mississippi State immediately, but it proved to be better for Mississippi State long-term because we got Kellum Clark back. And now we got him on track. We'll keep him on track. And now we got a couple more years to kind of enjoy Kellum Clark as a Bulldog. I'm excited. You should be, too. If you hadn't read that story, let me encourage you to go over to jeanspage.com or you can find it on all my social media feeds. Uh, it's called um, Back to Good Health and Hero Status. Got a picture of Kelvin Clark flexing his muscles. 
Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You guys, listen, I'm a big fan of Portico. You should be too. And I've told you guys, if I, if I was moving to Starkville now, this is where I would move. I live out in the sticks. I got plenty of room for these dogs to roam around. And, um, you know, I kind of like being out here on my own. You know, if anybody comes down my driveway, they're either they're delivering something that my daughters have ordered on Amazon or they're lost. And so I kind of like not having traffic around me. And so I like that aspect of it. But, you know, listen, I'm not getting any younger. I got a lot of land out here I got to keep up of. And so if I had to do it over again, I'd probably move to Portico because I want to be closer to campus. And you do, too. I mean, listen, a lot of people would say, hey, we live out on South Montgomery. And listen, God bless you. I don't want to deal with that. I just wouldn't. My anxiety would be through the roof if I had to deal with that traffic every day. And that's not so there's not some great houses out there. There are. I looked at a bunch of them when I bought mine. But Portico, guys, is just over a mile from campus. And that's where I want to be. They've also built that Walmart neighborhood market out there, which makes it very convenient. If I just got to go buy something for supper, you, know, you forget a gallon of milk, it's right there, right across the road from you. But on game day, I don't have to deal with all that traffic on 12. I can just, you know, I go out Pat Station Road, take a ride on it on uh, 12, and I'm, I'm on campus. It's perfect. Great construction, great prices, great builders, great people involved in this project. I absolutely love it. You, you will too. Go by and check it out. It's as soon as you come off of 8212, it's the very first ride. Take you right to Portico. You can get a two-bedroom up to a four-bedroom house. Whether it be your primary residence or, you know, an investment property where you're going to Airbnb that thing out or perhaps a summer home or just basically your game day getaway, you can't do better than Portico. Our friend Brooks Bryan, my friend, your friend, Mississippi State's friend, Brooks Bryan, one of the developers, he will answer all your questions. Give him a call today, and he'll get you lined up. 601-416-8075. 601-416-8075. Let me say, too, if you're the one in the family that's always wanted to come here, do your due diligence because it's only going to strengthen your case. And Brooks can give you the talking points to maybe talk your significant other into thinking, you know what, this, this thing in Starkville makes sense to me. Make Portico your next move. Mention top of the show, we're going to have Top Dog Camp. And uh, it's one of those things, too, you never know until they get here who all is coming. we got a pretty good idea. Paul's putting the list together. We'll have that up uh, probably Thursday, Friday for you over on jeanspage.com. Kind of the expected attendees list. But here's what I've learned about these lists is, you know, we can have 150 names on that list and 149 of them come, and all the focus is about the one kid that didn't, right? And so just be mindful of that as we go through this process. Not sure what Bryson Hurst is going to do this weekend. I've heard that he may go to Mississippi State. He may go to Ole Miss. He may stay home, may go to Florida, may go to Florida State. I'm told he doesn't have a ride lined up today. That may change Thursday or Friday, but we're going to continue to monitor the situation I do believe he does stay in state. I believe it's a state Ole Miss battle. And I'd shared on Gene Spade's message boards that I was told that his family just didn't want him going as far away as Tallahassee. And some people say, well, it's really not that much farther. Well, when you, if you're like me, when I grew up in South Mississippi, you know, anything across the state line was like going to a foreign country. You know, so, you know, it, it may be closer as the crow, the crow flies, but it's not closer to Tallahassee than it is Starville, Mississippi. It's just not. And so I don't know why families make the decisions they do. 
But I have been told it is a family decision that they would love for him to stay in-state for school. So I think it's going to boil down to a state Ole Miss battle. Trevion Williams, current Florida State commitment, speaking of Tallahassee. I'm told that he and his parents are supposed to be up here. He and his mom and his grandmom, I guess, are supposed to be here on Friday too. That recruiting process continues. And listen, there's a lot of small-town Mississippi kids that get caught up in the glitz and glamour and the bright lights. We saw it with Charles Cross a couple years ago. Big surprise. He just goes out there to a Florida State camp, and next thing you know, he's committed. Of course, his family went with him, so it's not you know not like he was flying blind. But all of a sudden, the reality of that decision begins to set in as we get closer to signing day. And he goes, you know what, I'm going to take some visits and ultimately sign with Mississippi State. There's going to be some of that this year. There will be some of that late. There will be some guys that have committed to out-of-state schools that will look to kind of redirect the, the direction of their recruitment and say, you know what, I, I think I want to stay closer to home. And so I think State and Ole Miss both could probably pick up some kids late some in-state guys that have committed elsewhere. Trevion Williams, a guy I, I personally think, after watching film of him and you begin to think about what he'll be long-term, I think he's the best defensive lineman in the state. I think he's the most explosive guy for sure. And uh, I think, you know, State, get him on campus this weekend, that, that, that bodes well. I mean, you got to get him back. He was here in June. You get him back this weekend. That'll be two visits in two months. He says he's going to come back for some games, so we'll see how things progress. But um, excited to see what's going to happen on Friday. I, I, I don't know that if we're on a commitment watch yet. You know, I know we've got seven defensive backs committed. I won't be surprised if we trade out a little bit there too. There are a couple guys that I really believe have to come and have, you know, a good showing this weekend uh, because the evaluation process continues. It's not a situation it's okay, I commit, and then I can just be lazy. You know, we want to see these guys work out if you're a staff because you want to see how they can take coaching. So I think we'll get some answers in that regard this weekend. I'm excited to see it happen. I know you guys are as well. And, again, full coverage over at jeanspage.com. Uh, uh, so much to feel good about, for sure. A lot of talented players in the state still available, and we still got plenty of room to go get them. Stone Blanton is a guy that I still believe will be a Bulldog sooner rather than later. I'll be honest with you, it probably took a little longer than I expected. I don't think they allow this thing to kind of linger on much longer, though, to be honest with you. Linebacker Jave Gilmore out of A. Meet, Louisiana, cousins with current Bulldog Ty Wheat. That's hopeful. Just not sure how many linebackers we take. I've, had, I've heard some conflicting things. We're definitely going to take two, might take three. And the next time I talk, I say, yeah, we're going to take three. And the next time it's like, well – Got to get two, and then we'll see how things go. Could be a best available. But I think if you can get all three of those guys, you get Khalid, Stone, and Jave. I think you have to make that decision. I really like all three of those guys. All three of those guys can really run. So on Friday, we'll get a little more information together and kind of preview what we know about the top dog attendance list and kind of, again, kind of look at some guys that could be on commitment watch here in the weeks ahead. That's going to do it for today after our sixth attempt to get this show together. And I kind of like this uh, editing software, so maybe we'll stick with this. But uh, happy to get the show done. And until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.